Well, uh, thank you, Father Delcom, for uh, your uh, invite to be with you all tonight here at Sacred Heart. Um, we have a lot of connections with Sacred Heart Parish because your old pews, we, uh, we bummed the pews from uh, Father Louis when they were, uh, they were for sale. You remember they were selling the pews when they were getting the new ones? So I just, I needed some pews, but I just waited until like the day before when the pews arrived because I knew then he'd have a bunch of pews to get rid of, so he called me. He said, you wouldn't be able to take these pews right away? I, I was like around the corner with the trailer waiting for him. <laughs> they called me Lamotte, you know, on Sanford's son. What you gonna do with that? So, uh, so I got pews from uh, the old, uh, big pews, you know, the ones that were kind of too big for your patio. And then the old, uh, I think, Leo Bernard family they had commissioned those, uh, I think the Swiss artists, the stations, they were done on copper, and you know, paint doesn't stick too well to copper, and they started to flake, you know, and uh, so when they redid the church, they had them commissioned on all in canvas, and the old, uh, the old stations, the originals, went to uh, storage, and then uh, Bishop Fry back then called us, and we had just acquired the uh, old hospital in St. Martinville. So we took them and we had 14 spots. And so if you ever want to come uh, see the originals, just come make a retreat with us at Our Lady of Sorrows. And your original stations are, uh, are up there at the retreat house. And Father Delcom says, we're going to leave it about that. Don't, don't leave it anything else. <laughs> so, but it's good to be with you and uh, to speak with you during this beautiful Advent season about something very, very uh, important in the Advent season, that of the Holy Eucharist. So it's very good to be emphasizing that because the Advent season, as well as its season in which it prepares for the Christmas day and Christmas octave, Christmas season, is really all about the Eucharist, about our Lord who comes to offer himself, our Lord who comes to be food for our journey, our Lord who comes to be with us, to remain with us as we make our journey to the Father's house. So I want to begin with a couple of texts of scripture that you're familiar with. Both Matthew and Luke have infancy narratives, and I'm read to you from First from Luke's gospel about the birth of our Lord and then from Matthew, okay? The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke. Glory to you, Lord. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be enrolled. Now, this was the first enrollment when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be enrolled, each his own city. And Joseph who also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be enrolled with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to be delivered. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In the Gospel of St. Matthew. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born of the king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written in the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. Far from you shall come a ruler who shall govern my people Israel. And then Herod summoned the wise men secretly 
and ascertain from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go search for the child and when you find him, bring me word that I too may come and adore him. When they had heard the king, they went on their way and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, the mother, and they fell down and they adored him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by a different route. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Most sacred heart of Jesus, Our Lady of Sorrows, pray for us. St. Joseph and St. Juan Diego, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, we have uh, these in Matthew and the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Luke, uh, narratives, stories, uh, 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 narrating the events about the birth of our Savior Jesus. And uh, in there, we see these tremendous Eucharistic themes about the Eucharist. Christ is, I am the bread of life, he says. So he comes, uh, he comes from, uh, where is the child going to be born? Well, Bethlehem, the city of bread. That's what the Bethlehem means, the city of bread. So he's going to come from the city of bread. And in fact, he's going to become our bread. And this is very significant. So we think about it. When we think about the Eucharist, we're going we're gonna to reflect on adoration this evening. I'm going to speak to you, you know, some theological points and divinely revealed points about the Holy Eucharist. But uh, from my own experience, something that has been, as Father mentioned, as going with his mother, but uh, certainly from the time of my conversion, making the daily holy hour and something that was very, very a transformative in my life. I wouldn't be a priest, I wouldn't be a religious uh, had it not been for adoration of the Blessed Sacrament. I wouldn't remain a priest if it wouldn't have been for adoration and I still uh, need to spend that time. And of course our religious community that I joined, is, it's a Eucharistic community. We clock a lot of hours uh, in front of the Blessed Sacrament. It's, it's what we do, it's our vocation. And, um, and so the Eucharist is very much part of, uh, of every priest's life. It should be part of every Christian's life. And it's why Jesus came. He came that uh, we may have life and have it to the full. I took that from a little John 10, chapter, uh, chapter 10, verse 10 from the Good Shepherd. I read it last night. We blessed the Good Shepherd statue with our kids at the oratory. We're going to open up Camp Good Shepherd next to our oratory, Don Bosco, so the kids can have a place to recreate and we can do our uh, Camp Bosco there. And uh, so we read uh, from chapter 10, The Good Shepherd. And uh, the, uh, the, the Good Shepherd, uh, the, David was a shepherd in the city of David and Bethlehem where he was from, the city of bread. Uh, he comes uh, uh, to be our life, to be our food, to be our our mediator between God and ourselves. And so Christ, uh, in his coming, when we reflect upon Advent, uh, this is what happens. So we have, you know, first we think about the Mass as a sacrifice. And uh, the wise men who come from the East are very, very powerfully uh, offering gifts which are very symbolic. And they, you know, gold, well, gold fit for a king. And he is a king. He's such a king that even... Um, Herod, who was like, I don't know, he'd be like mayor of Leonville, where I'm from. I'm from Leonville. 
or to be constable or mayor, you know. I mean, that's just important. We need a good mayor and a good town and stuff. And, but it's important, but it's not that important. Okay, so don't take yourself too seriously. Herod was obviously taking himself too seriously. And uh, what, you know, Herod could have reigned and really reigned, but he was scared of a little baby. Now, we're afraid of children. We have abortion, conscious, after we're, we're afraid of kids. Kids might mess up our lifestyle. They might cramp our style. Unfortunately, that's a mindset that's become culturally uh, present. Maybe not so much in our area, but it's creeped in. Uh, but we're less family-oriented, less pro-life than we used to be. But, uh, but children, that's why Jesus came as a child. And a petit enfant. You know, ha, ha, uh, he was gonna, if he had come a full-grown man dropping out of the sky, he'd have scared us all to death. Uh, but he comes as a little baby. He came in the least common denominator as a child. What does Isaiah say? A little child shall guide them. A little, that's your whole infant of Prague devotion, uh, you know, the, the child Jesus. A little child shall lead them. And boy, he did, you see. But he caused fear in people like Herod. So gold, uh, because he's a, he's a king. And um, frankincense, frankincense is what we use uh, uh, for prayer. And uh, so he's, he's a priest. Um, he, uh, he offers incense. Uh, this is where the old uh, Zechariah was uh, struck dumb, where he, he couldn't speak and he was mute, couldn't hear. Uh, he had to scribble out, his name is John, about John the Baptist, because he doubted the words of the angel to him. But he was offering incense, and he didn't come out. He thought maybe he got inundated or intoxicated with the incense. But he was from the priestly clan of Abijah, so he was offering incense. Well, the priest, our high priest is Christ, and so the, he's a, a priest, and so incense is offered by the Magi. But boy, that, um, that myrrh, you know, myrrh is an embalming uh, fluid. Now, what is Mary going to do with some embalming fluid? I, we don't get it, but it'd be like, uh, you know, you have a baby shower, and I come and give you a gift certificate to, like, Delone Funeral Home or something. <laughs> Not for you, but for the kid. I mean, that's, you know, it's just, uh, it's a very somber reality. It's, it's about, we come to live, and everything's about life. He came to die. He came to die that we may live. He was rich, he became poor, so we who are poor might become rich. And so uh, he who was a mighty God became a child, uh, so that we who are mere children might become unto God. Uh, he uh, became an infant, and, uh, you know, uh, infants, uh, it means you can't speak. Like phonetic or phano, I speak. Infons means an unspeaking one, that's what an infant is. Well, sometimes they speak and they cry throughout the night, but infons, they don't speak. The word, became an infant. The word became silent. It's Advent such a silent season. And so our God comes to die. This is a sacrifice. You know, we say keep Christ in Christmas, rightly so. You know, the bumper stickers, the signs, let us keep Christ in Christmas. Especially as get away from the consumerism and the buying and the gifts and, and the big part and all, and, and, and centered on, upon the reason for the season. Jesus is the reason for the season. But don't forget, keep, keep the mass in Christmas. That's what we call it Christmas, you see. Um, a lot of people don't realize, like Protestants don't understand that. They all favor Christmas. We're happy about that. Uh, but Christmas, like Whitmas uh, for Easter, White Mass, Candlemas, February the 2nd, when we bless candles for the procession, for the presentation. So we call that Candlemas. And then Christmas, the Mass of Christ's birth. That's what Christmas is. And what is the Mass? The Mass is a sacrifice. The Mass is, is making present Jesus offering himself on the cross 
to the Father for you, for me. Thinking about you, thinking about me. That's a theological fact. The Son of God in his divine mind saw you and I here at Sacred Heart of Jesus in Broussard, uh, December 9, 2021. That's a fact. From perched high on the cross, he had a great vision and he saw us. And on the cross, he said, into your hands, Father, I commend my spirit. For Father Mike Dalcom, Father Sean Bond, for each one of you. It's a fact. And so the sacrifice of Christ is made present. So when we talk about Christmas, Mass, in which the sacrifice of Christ is made present for you and I who couldn't be there because we're 2,000 years too late and we're on the wrong side of the pond. But we can. And he thought about that. And so the Mass, Christ's offering, is forever and ever and ever. And at every Mass, when the priest says, this is my body, this is my blood, eternity pierces time, and we're transported, as it were, to the foot of the cross with Mary and John, says the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And so we can bring our, that's the offering, we bring our sacrifices. So that Mary uh, that, uh, is... Uh, is a reflection about the shadow of the cross coming backwards and shedding its shadow even at Bethlehem. The reason for the sea, he came so that he might redeem. And that's good news for us. You see, though it's a somber news. Secondly, communion. When we think about the Eucharist, we think about Holy Communion, receiving Jesus. Um, uh, him eating us. We are what we eat. That's what they used to tell me at, Cat uh, at the Catholic school. Uh, don't be eating them boudin balls and funyuns and all that and, and uh, your root beer. Uh, then you're going to become a, a, a boudin ball. And, and, and they were right. It was prophetic. Look at me, you see. Um, but, but you are what you eat. But eating of Jesus. We eat of Jesus and, and instead of, uh, as Fulton Sheen would say, uh, the, the lower life, like eating those uh, cabbage rolls and uh, stuffed malletons and, and, uh, and the uh, gratons, that the lower life is elevated, becomes human because we consume it and it's elevated. It goes through a death and is elevated. But Christ feeds us with his own body, blood, soul, divinity. And we commune. When there is a life in us, we commune and it increases on this high protein. We, we eat of this super substantial bread. We say that in the Our Father. When Jesus teaches us how to pray, give us this day this super substantial bread, this high power, high, uh, high protein, you see, bread, which is God himself. And it's very sign significant. What does Mary do in Luke's gospel? She gives birth when the time came. And they're in the vashari, they're in the cave, in the, in the old cow shed. Probably Joseph's in a bond, as Pope Francis says, he was creative in his charity, and he said, man, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? You know, I'd be suicidal. I'd just go into depression, you know, and I, I would just uh, zone out. You know, I'd just pull the ripcord because I'm, I'm a complete failure. On my watch, this happens. Not Joseph. Joseph is in agony, and yet he prays, and then in his creative charity, he says, oh, yeah. Yeah, there's a cave around here when I, when I was a kid, you know, because he's from there. That's why he's over there. He's enrolling. He had to go, you know, got to go vote. He had to go put in his uh, census, census zero, you know, uh, uh, the first census, um, census zero. They got, what, 2010 we just had? Well, the first census, census zero, Tiberius Caesar's bright idea, you know, marries. Uh, and by the way, Joseph was obedient. That was a stupid law. Well, we got a lot, you know, whether you agree with it or not, it seems pretty stupid to go just because somebody's had nothing better to do than count how many people are around the place. You know what I mean? And, and so Mary goes and Joseph, he's obedient. That's, uh, that's very impressive. He's obedient to secular authorities. Legitimate command gets a legitimate obedient response, whether you agree with it or not. Um, and so he does. And, then, and he's in a bind because he doesn't have enough money to get a, a hotel room. Oh yeah, they're full. All oh, the economy rooms. Oh, how much did you run? 49.95? Oh, that's great, I'll take one. Oh no, we're out. 
You ever try that? That happens to me all the time when I'm traveling. Oh, I'll take one of those 49.95s. Oh, we're out. We have one for 119. It's real nice. They had rooms. If you got money, somebody will, will give you their room. You see, if you don't, you just flash a $100 bill or something and shoot, I'll sleep outside for $100. You know? Uh, anybody here want to uh, take a $200 coupon and stay in Houston with a hotel and a meal and uh, we'll get you out to the first flight tomorrow? $300? Then all of a sudden, well, anyway, my point is, is that uh, he was poor. The Holy Family was poor. And, and, he, and he's created, oh, that cave. I used to pray in that cave near here. I wonder if it's still there. You know, and, and sure enough, he took Mary and it was there. And, and, and that's where she gave birth. And what did she do? She swaddled him, wrapped him up. Like, like you know, the mummy swaddled him, washed him, swaddled him, and then laid him where? You see, in a, a Tipperputic uh, uh, mattress, or your sleep number mattress, I wonder what Jesus' sleep number was. In the manger, in the food box. J'aime bien manger, hein? Il faut manger, manger. Manger is a food box. In Latin, chibum, huh? Chibum is food, chibo in Italian. Chibo, chiborium. You ever heard of a ciborium? Where they put the blessed sacrament? You want to put it in a manger. In a manger. Mary put Jesus in the food box. Very symbolic that he's going to be our food. In the city of bread he was born and that divine bread was already laid in by Mary, swaddled, prepared, and laid in that first monstrance, which was a ciborium, an adoration with the ciborium, and they consumed him. And we do. That's communion, holy communion, very powerful. And then what we see very powerfully throughout is adoration. Mary's first gaze. She was already gazing at Jesus, says John Paul, in her imagination, what would God, would a human face look like? Now, he wouldn't have Joseph's dimples. If he had freckles, they would come from Mary. All the DNA came from Mary, you see. Uh, but what would he look like? Yeah, maybe some women, when they're pregnant, first, they, they wonder, what is, gonna, what is that little boy going to do? He's going, boy or girl? Well, now we get the pictures, you see the ultrasound. What is it going to look like? And so Mary was already treasuring, pondering, contemplating. She was already adoring God, the divine embryo in her womb. And when she gave birth, that gaze of Mary, adoring him, Joseph, for our year of St. Joseph, which ended yesterday for, for the, the big daddy of the, of the year of Joseph with uh, Pope Francis, but we had ended our other one, uh, May 1st uh, last, uh, that Pope, uh, that, that Pope, we're going to leave him bishop yet, Bishop Desertel made. Uh, well, what was the big thing? Adoration. Joseph adored. As Jesus, as he taught Jesus, he adored God as a little boy working in his shop. It's amazing. And so this is one, the first acts of, of Jesus and Mary toward the child. Once there's a pregnancy is adoration. And so we see, what did the Magi's do? The Magi come and they come. They don't have to like, now you see our adoration chapel, 1986, St. Michael's at, at Martin de Tours. And then uh, it closed, and so we picked it up, and because we're all about adoration. We were doing adoration, you know, at, during the day at our place at night. So we took over adoration, Dr. Corn's living room. It took about two weeks, we got there already, started doing adoration. And, we, you know, we, through the night, since we have three hours together as a community, and then we, we do our hours during the night and the sisters during the day. And now, oh, I got. I used to roll out of bed and like crawl into the Adoration Chapel. You see, now I got to walk two o'clock in the morning down, downtown and, you know, meet about five drunks, you know, and then people blowing their horn and then get to the chapel, you see, uh, for Adoration. The Magi 
three months journey out of Winnebago. You know, they were way out in the east. They came all the way because God is present in Bethlehem like he's not in Persia. Don't you know, Magi, that God's present everywhere? They're not stupid. We call them wise men. We wouldn't call them. We'd call them fool men, you know, couillons. Uh, They're not. They're wise because they knew that God is present everywhere. Yes, but God is present in that crib like he's not in Persia. And we're going to leave Persia. And we're going to go where and we're going to find him. And they did. And what did they do? They rejoiced when they saw the star. It had disappeared. It had to go to Revelation. Nature only went so far. And then Revelation, they got the, they got the right answer from the scholars who didn't go down to Bethlehem. They had the keys. They didn't open it. They locked the door, wouldn't let anybody in. They didn't, you don't see any scribes or Pharisees down there. But the wise men, they went. And when they saw, they rejoiced. They saw Mary and they saw the child and they got off their high horse on their knees and they prostrated themselves and did him homage. In Latin, adored him. Then they offered, opened their coffers and they offered their gifts. What happened throughout the scriptures? People always want to get close to where Jesus is. They find him and what do they do? They knelt down and they did him homage, we say in English. They adored him. Then they presented their request. Why don't we get our request answered? Because we don't adore him first. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy... We do all that before we start, give me this, give me that, give me this. It's just the proper way. Oh, Pop, you're so good to me. You do all that. And you and Mom have been so good to me, and, I, and I'm so appreciative. Listen, I'm in a bond. <laughs> you know, uh, Adore him first. Know who you approach that he can. He wants to and he can help you. Well, express it. That's adoration. It's our first duty of man before God. Let God be God and let man be the creature. It's our first responsibility. So adoration is present throughout. And, and, and the shepherds, let us go and see these things we've heard about as the angels spoke to them. And they went and there they adored him. You see, and, and they revealed to Mary and Joseph all that the angels had told them during the night. Gloria in Excel says, glory to God in the highest. Our Gloria, which we don't sing during Advent, we're going to sing it on Christmas, is, is a Christmas hymn revealed by God by the angels. And so it ought to bring a great deal of joy. It, it's a song of adoration. So adoration is so present in this mystery of Advent. And so all three aspects of the Eucharist but especially adoration. So what I want to do is just, these are things, a list that I used to write down, give little talks and stuff, because we do try to promote adoration. We go around, you know, uh, a lot of different places and try to help adoration chapels get started, how to try, to, uh, try to give them a, a jump start and keep them going. This is powerful. Holiness, vocations, sanctity, uh, marital unity, forgiveness, it comes from adoration. Letting God be God and just clocking some time, you see, uh, with him uh, as a creature. Where did this holy hour come from? Jesus, can you not watch one hour with me? Three times uh, he took his disciples to task because they slept while he suffered. Can you not watch and wait just one hour with me? Very important. Barbara Walters followed Mother Teresa around one time, and they had to go do that at holy hour in the morning. And Barbara Walters said, wait, man, now this is the real stuff uh, over the sick and dying and working with the street people. Why did we waste all that time this morning? Mother Teresa said, without that one hour, all these others are useless. That's the power, you see, of our day, that one hour, holy hour. 
So some of the things, fruits, it gives you power. Man, the most powerful people, Fulton Sheen, St. John Paul the Great. They couldn't find St. John Paul one day, you know, when he came to the United States. And uh, well, they went to his room because they thought he was going to die. It was in Boston, I think. He went to his room and everything was uh, untouched. He hadn't slept. <gasps> we lost the Pope. <laughs> he came. <laughs> like, like, well, they lost Jesus. You know, Jesus and Mary, they knew what the cardinal knew what it felt like. So, they, man, all of a sudden, lights going on. And they're trying to find him, trying to find him. Then somebody had the bright idea. Hey, maybe he's in the chapel. <laughs> so they went to the chapel. And what is, he's lying face down, prostrate in front of the, uh, front of the tabernacle. Car, uh, Gibbets, his secretary, said one time in the middle of the night, he was looking for John Paul. And he heard, some, heard something from the chapel. He went, and, 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 and the pope had his arm around the tabernacle, and he was singing to Jesus. He started Eucharistic adoration in all the four basilicas. He had the, uh, the poor clerics go into the, the tower in the Vatican Gardens and have adoration. That's John Paul. His first encyclical letter, he desired that there be Eucharistic adoration in every Christian Catholic community, schools, nursing homes, hospitals, parishes. It gives wisdom. Jesus says, learn from me for I'm meek and humble of heart. Well, this is that learning through the divine osmosis. People understand profound truth. John Paul uh, said, how will young people be able to know the Lord if they are not introduced to the mystery of his presence? We need to, we need to put them in counter with the mystery. I was just listening to a little thing on that. We had a, um, uh, a little uh, day of recollection for our community on silence. So Brother Bernard is one of 10. And he was talking about how he was prepared for his vocation in silence. As a kid, uh, his dad would take all 10 of them to holy hour. All 10 of them to Holy Hour, you know? And of course, they had to be quiet and everything else. And he was speaking about how that was so formative in his life as a kid, you see? Uh, so this is, this is uh, power. Uh, so it gives us wisdom. It purifies and sanctifies us. Like Moses, you know, he, Moses uh, up there uh, before the glory of the Lord, you see, it's like, uh, it's a contemplation uh, that's fixed on Jesus. I look at him and he looks at me said the little peasant in the back of the church to the curie of ours. So what do you do during that holy, holy hour? We can do a lot of things. You can pray your rosary, do the divine mercy chaplet. You can't stay on your phone, obviously. He's exposed. He demands your attention. Uh, but anything that could move you to loving him. But just sit there. Look at him and let him look at you. Just be in his presence. Oh, it's like a glow-in-the-dark rosary. You know, you, you can't figure out where, where it's at, you know, and then you turn off your lights and, oh, there it is, and you're going to finish your rosary because it's like a little uh, prick of conscience. But, you know, the little rosary, you put it in front of the incandescent light or whatever. I guess it works in front of LED as well. And then uh, you cut off the lights and it glows. Moses was glowing when he came down from the mountain talking to God. In fact, people had to put on their Polaroids because his, his face was uh, aglow. So that's what happens to us. We get light. It gives light for us, light for our path and light for other people's path. The light of the countenance of Jesus illumines the eyes of our heart, says the catechism, and teaches us to see everything in the light of his truth and of his compassion for all men. So this, it, it gives understanding. Uh, I, I've been in some tremendous conundrums where if I do this, this terrible thing's gonna happen. If I do that, the terrible, what am I gonna do? If I do nothing, a terrible thing's gonna happen. You see, and, and you're all in a, in a, in a, and then you go and you just sit in front of the blessed Lord and you look at him and you just forget about it. And all of a sudden, ding, like a little notification on your phone. And, and it's clear as day what you're supposed to do. So the Lord teaches us in the silence of his face. Adoration calms me. You know, uh, when you can't pray, this is, I've seen two o'clock, uh, Holy Rosary, that used to happen frequently. 
uh, early in the morning, Father Fry, maybe give me the 12 a.m. holy hour. Uh, and I had that every night, <laughs> uh, 12 a.m. That's why I always had these bags under my eyes. But you'd be in the adoration chapel and somebody come in and man, they just go down, fall on the ground and just wail and cry. And the first thing I want to do is get up there and make you get them out the chapel. They need to talk. They don't need to talk. I learned they need to be there with Jesus. You just sit back and let them. And, and the Lord would calm them. You know, it's the divine ADDH or divine Ritalin, you know, to, to handle my, my uh, attention deficit uh, syndrome, whatever it is, you see. Um, uh, that's what we need. Uh, it's a divine pacemaker. We do like John and lay our head on the bosom of Jesus and you see, that beating heart of Christ will set the pace for mine. I'm tachycardia, I'm off the chart, and you see, he just slows me down. And then we, then we collect it, and then we can respond to what God throws at us. Adoration makes me patient. We've got to wait. Can you not wait and watch one hour? We don't like to wait. You know, I go get uh, uh, some gas. I get out the car. I pump my gas. I slide my car in there. And it, uh, waiting, 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 waiting. You know, it says, wait one moment, one moment, one moment, please. Then it says, please see cashier. <laughs> Boy, now that gets my goose. I'm going to jump. I'm going to drive down the road to another place where I can put my car, you know. In the old days, I remember as a kid, you didn't have self-service. Everything was full service. You drove in, ding, ding, you know, the little, the little uh, pressure holes. And, and, and Meatball, or whatever his name was, uh, the mechanic, was under a car on a creeper stabbing a transmission. And you had to wait for him to stab that transmission. And then you'd hear him curse because uh, the pressure plates would fall and then you had to get back in the car. You were there 30, 45 minutes before you get your gas. And we didn't think anything of it. If we don't wait... We'll never become saints. Advent is a waiting season. Last night, one of the kids raised his hand at Bosco. Brother Champagne. I said, what? He said, uh, man, when are we going to get our Christmas presents? <laughs> I said, well, what, what kind of presents? Christmas presents, man, Christmas presents, you know? I said, when's Christmas? Well, it's uh, the 25th. I said, what's today? I said, hey, Christmas, you're going to get your Christmas. Man, when did he start doing that? <laughs> uh, well, we started doing that, you see. We're going to make you wait. Adoration makes us wait. Watch and wait. God's patience redeems us. Man's impatience crucifies our Lord. You know what patience means? Suffering. Can you not suffer the wait? Impatience means unsuffering, unwilling to suffer. Adoration repairs the damage of sin, ours and others. Man, after Hurricane Ida, Hurricane, uh, Hurricane Laura, we didn't cause that. Say it's an act of God, an act of nature. We didn't cause that. But you know something? People are in a bind and in houses or people are uh, living on, in, in uh, tents, you know, uh, under trees. And we got to repair damage. So we get together and we, uh, and we got people with bucket trucks. What do you have, like 10,000 uh, linemen, 7,500 bucket trucks came down, uh, down in Bayou Lafourche and all that. From Tennessee, North Carolina, they came to repair damage they didn't cause. In adoration, not only are we adoring Jesus, but we enter into that movement of his heart pulsating in that monstrous, redeeming the world as we speak. And we can give ourselves to him and participate with the redemption of the world. Yes. We help repair. What does Pope John Paul, the great saint of the Eucharist, say? He says, let us not refuse the time. Father's asking a little time from you. An hour, that's it. All we need is 168 hours to tell you get two, two. We ought to pack it. 
But uh, adoration, because we're impatient, because it's so powerfully divine, will never be popular. But let us not refuse the time to go meet him in adoration, open to making amends for the serious offenses and crimes of the world. My own, my kids, my grandkids. A lot of us are here because somebody was making reparation for us. Somebody paid the price. I broke the window and, and Pop paid for it and fixed Somebody's got to fix it. And he wants us to participate. We can in adoration, not just going to mass. Adoration will convert you. We're almost done. It, it's divine cardioversion. Doc says, hey, you got a little atrial fibrillation. Your heart's starting to quiver. It's not getting that big stroke. Your, your, uh, your uh, ejection factor, you see, is, uh, is low. You know, oh, is that good or bad? It's not good for the champagne. You see, we're going to give a little medicine. We're going to try a little medicine and see if we can't put you back in sinus rhythm. What does my nose have to do with it? It has nothing to do with it, you see. Uh, we want that heart to just... Well, the medicine's not working. Ooh, what are we going to do? Shock you. Yeah? We're going to get the pads. A little cardioversion, a little boom. You say, bump me back in there, you know, shock me back into reality. Jesus' heart is beating. And when I go and I adore Jesus in that silence, my heart, you see, can be bounced back into proper rhythm. We convert. Powerful conversion in front of the blessing. We bring the bayou down the tash and we down the streets in our processions. People change. People convert just because they see the, the, the host. Yes. So cardioversion. Man, I can, I can work for years trying to deal with my impatience and my hard-headedness or my lust or my greed. And in a short period of time, I can be changed in front of the king. Man, what, a, what did the Roman, centurion, the Roman centurion? He killed thousands of people, business as usual. Can't knock off for another 15 minutes. What am I going to do? They rolled a few dice. No more um, MD-2020 to drink. They drank it all. And so what did he do? He plonked himself. He sat down. And what does it say in Latin? He contemplated him. Contemplated. He contemplated. Now, that was not no infused contemplation. That was some confused contemplation, you know. He was half drunk. And, and he watched Jesus. And he looked at him. And he, with his own eyes, and, he, and when he ran him through, he says, truly, this man was the son of God. Mark says, seeing the manner of his death, how this one died. He had killed thousands, but nobody died like that. The death of his holy ones is precious in God's sight. And death converts people. Watching Jesus will change you. Yes. Adoration makes us hungry for Jesus. Well, I'm not that hungry. I'm going to pass. Well, we have tonight, we have fried, uh, you know, uh, squid, and we have uh, uh, crawfish uh, balls, and uh, we have this, and uh, <clears throat> all of a sudden, you know, I'm, I'm getting a little hungry. Once we look at the menu, all of a sudden we change our mind. Looking at Jesus makes us hungry for Jesus. We fall in love. We get infatuated with him. And so when we, when we come up for Holy Communion, we have a desire, and sparks fly. The best way to prepare for Mass and Holy Communion is adoration. And the best way to assimilate the fruits of Mass and Holy Communion, adoration. So adoration makes us hungry for Jesus. And this is one of our problems with diminishing returns on Holy Communion. We receive communion a lot more than the saints do. And rien, we get zero results. Why? Because it's like my, my uh, big old mug, my favorite mug, which is ice cold, and I go to the coffee and I pour it into the mug, and when I get to my pre to, to say my prayers, you see, in the morning, ugh, 
The, the, the coffee is, uh, is cold. Well, what happened? Is that coffee pot not working? I go bounce it around and say, no, your ice cold cup cooled it down. And so Jesus is hot with desire for you and you come up to Holy Communion. I give you communion and all of a sudden, you see, you can squelch. You put frigid, you see, with hot and you get mediocrity. I can't give you Holy Communion. Only God and you can make Holy Communion. And adoration increases our desire for Jesus. It sharpens our faith power. Mother Teresa would, would recognize Jesus in every human being. Where did that come from? Oh, I don't know how to use a bad example. Drug dogs, what do they do? They take that old dog, you know, and they put that uh, German Shepherd's nose or that hound in a bag of dope. And the dog, yeah, yeah. all right. And then, then they go to the airport with that dog. And that dog comes chasing down a guy who's got a, got a little thing in his bag. You see, you, you, you calibrate, you stud finder, you go to Home Depot and get one of those things, you know, beep, 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 beep. You're trying to find out where to put that picture for your wife, and, and, and there's no center match behind the sheetrock, but you got to find that uh, stud. Well, you got to calibrate that, and we calibrate our sense power with the high isotope concentration of Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. If I can recognize Jesus in his disguise, his hidden disguise in the Eucharist, then like Mother Teresa, I'll recognize him in his distressing disguise in mother-in-law, brother-in-law, the neighbor, you see, the wife, the kids, or the poorest of the poor. And so Jesus is in me, is in you, in a small, sometimes uh, faint uh, uh, presence. But if I can recognize him in the Eucharist, then I'll recognize him. The reason I don't recognize Jesus in my brother, my sister, is because I haven't spent enough time in front of the Lord Jesus himself. Adoration gives power to our petitions. We saw it in the scriptures. You, uh, I'll give you a quick example. Eliza Vaughn got married. She told her husband, she said, honey, God's been good to us. We ought to be good to him. He said, Mayesha, I think that's good. He didn't say that because they were from Italy. Um, yeah. So uh, he said, yeah, I agree. And she said, well, uh, you know, uh, maybe God might call, we might have some children and God might call one or two of them to be a priest or religious. Well, that'd be good. She said, yeah, we well, need to give them back to God. Should they do it? Well, I think so. Mrs. Eliza Vaughn made a holy hour every day. She made a holy hour every day and prayed that God would give us some kids and maybe one or two of them would become a priest or religious. She had 14 children, 10 vocations, six priests and four religious. In a little town of Lou Monteferrata, Italy, women prayed for vocations, Catholic daughters, uh, altar society, homeschool women's group. They went to Monsignor. We know the guy's name. Monsignor, they said, Monsignor, after mass, would you expose the blessed sacrament on Tuesday for an hour so we could pray? We would love it. One of our kids would become a priest or religious. Little town of about three, 4,000 people, okay? He said, well, sure, I'll do that. So he did. They prayed. In 1946, they had a little crawfish ball, a little coupe man, a little come back home for Christmas. Everybody from Lou, everybody from Leonville, Paconia, viens ici, y'all come on back and we're gonna have a little casserole, a little uh, uh, piquant, you know, a little sauce piquant. And, and uh, if you're a priest or religious, 323 returned. 323 priests, nuns, and brothers alive came back to their hometown of Lou, Monteferrato, Italy. Did anybody get married in Lou? You see, they prayed and God answered their prayers. Nothing more powerful. Find adoration brings spiritual joy and will make you a missionary. Why are we not happy? Because we're not in love. The first fruit of love is joy, joy. Heaven begins now, hell does too. 
You follow me? Heaven is not pie in the sky. We have, lo, I am with you until the end of the age. Jesus came down and leapt into the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And she gave birth to him in Bethlehem in that little manger. God walked among us and God, when he ascended into heaven, never left the earth. He remains with us in the tabernacle, in the monsters, in the Eucharist. Adoring Jesus brings joy. And when we're full of joy, we want to run to our brothers and sisters and tell them that we've met the Lord. So I encourage you tonight, just, uh, I'm, t- I'm not telling you what I don't do myself. I, uh, I was about 19 years old, I made the Crescio. Somebody gave me some cassette tapes of, tapes of Fulton Sheen about the Holy Hour. I started doing the Holy Hour about 19 years old. I'm 58 now. Missed a couple of nights, but by, by and large, been doing it since then. Changed my life, it'll change yours. Uh, you just gotta get over that little resistance of the devil that wants to keep you from it. Get and be a missionary. Bring someone with you. Oh, yeah, we'll go. At 7 o'clock, we want to go uh, bowling. But I got a whole hour at 6. Come with me, and we're just going to visit Jesus, and then we're going to go bowling. And you did it once or twice, they're hooked. You find me? They're going to want you a holy hour. So I encourage you. We ought to, uh, we ought to uh, uh, stack the deck on that chapel. And I'm telling you, when I, when I uh, die, I, not you know, if I die, when I die, I want to look up Fulton Sheen. Or, you know, whatever. Hopefully I make the cut and I'm up there. I want to find, and I want to thank him for getting me to do the holy hour. Maybe uh, I might have the joy of somebody looking me uh, down when I'm up in heaven, hoping me looking me up, you see, and, uh, and, and thanking me for maybe I might be the reason of them making a holy hour. So I encourage you, if you're making one, make another. If you're making none, make one. And let's make this Advent a life-changing Advent for all of us.